Father, we want to ask very simply as we come to your word, would you, would you take away in this moment all distractions that might take our minds and our hearts away from the things that you want to say to us this morning? Father, we want to pray that you would bring us to attention before you. Um, give us open hearts and open minds. Um, Father, we want to pray that you would speak to us by your word and by your spirit and that there be something from your word that we can carry away with us into this week uh, that would really do us good and shape our lives. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, um, we've come, we're coming to the end of our little short Advent series. Um, let me read again um, the verse that's kind of been our, our focus uh, as we've gone through from Isaiah chapter 9. And it says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Um, if you've been counting, you may have noticed that we've, uh, we've kind of run out of Sundays and we don't have time uh, to deal with all four names. Um, and I did consider trying to cover the last two both uh, today. But I guess our focus has been really in this Advent season on trying to slow down um, and just reflect deeply on some of these names. Um, and so I'm not going to try and deal with them both. We're going to focus today uh, on this one on what it means for Jesus to be Prince of Peace. Uh, maybe another time we can revisit Everlasting Father um, and think about that one uh, together. Uh, but I want to think about this. What, what does this name mean, Prince of Peace? And uh, Maybe before we get, get to sort of thinking about what it means for Jesus to be called Prince of Peace, uh, we're going to do a little bit of um, thinking about those two, two, big, two words, Prince and Peace, and maybe make sure that we've understood those words right before we go on. Um, because maybe one little puzzle that immediately comes to mind is why is he called prince here and not king? Because uh, you and I are really used to calling Jesus uh, Messiah, the long-expected king. Uh, we sang a wee minute ago, he's the king of glory. Uh, we speak of him as the king of kings. Um, so why prince of peace rather than king of peace? And maybe, maybe part of why we're puzzled is we think of a prince as being someone who is nearly a king, right? That's, that's kind of our view of a prince. So maybe we think of those who are waiting to be king, uh, like th those three princes that are in that photo, who are not yet king, who are waiting for things to happen so they can become king. Um, or maybe we think of some who may most likely will never be king, uh, like maybe those two there. Um, but in other times and cultures, um, the word prince didn't always mean that. It didn't always refer to someone who's not quite a king. Um, it, it could refer simply to someone who's a powerful ruler. Um, it's, it's very closely related to our English word principal, which obviously means the main, the main thing, the central thing, um, the, the principal. Um, and so Here's a little, little thing some of you may find interesting. If, if you have a King James Bible, uh, a 1611 King James Bible, and you turn to the front of it, you'll find this, this is obviously a very old one, but you'll find this message uh, written that is from the translators of the Bible to 
King James. And I don't know if you can see on the screen how it begins. It begins, To the most high and mighty Prince James, by the grace of God, King of Great Britain, France and Ireland, and Defender of the Faith, and so on. So he is King, he is high and, high and mighty, but he's referred to as a Prince. So it's not about being nearly a king, it's about being a, a powerful ruler. And while you have your King James in your hand, if you're looking at this later on to check it, um, if you flick to the end of your Bible on Revelation 1 verse 5, this is how the King James translates the verse there. It speaks of Jesus Christ as the prince of the kings of the earth. Um, modern translations say the ruler of the kings of the earth. Do you see how the word prince doesn't always mean uh, the way, the way we kind of use it, but it can mean this powerful ruler. So hopefully that helps us a wee bit maybe with our puzzle. Um, the word prince um, can mean ruler or um, it can also be translated and often is in the Old Testament translated as commander. It brings to mind the idea of a military leader leading his troops into battle. And there's something about that, whenever you say that, when you set that beside the word peace, um, it looks kind of strange and maybe surprising. And there's something there for us maybe to wonder about and puzzle over. Um, the military commander of peace is not an extraordinary thing. Um, the prince of peace, the, the mighty ruler of peace. So that's the first word of the two. Um, but what about the second word? What about the word peace? Um, most of you know by now, because I, I maybe go on about this quite a lot, the Hebrew word for peace um, is this word, is the word shalom. Um, and there, there's quite a big difference between our English word peace and the Hebrew word shalom. They're, they're related to each other, but they're also quite different. And maybe, maybe the best way to sum up the difference um, is this, that our English word peace mainly suggests the absence of something. So if you look, look up an English dictionary and look up the word peace, it'll talk about the absence of war or the absence of conflict or the absence of noise or the absence of stress. So when the, when the peace treaty is signed and the troops come home, you have peace when the guns are, are quiet. Or at the end of a day when the kids are finally in bed and the house is quiet, you have peace. Right? It's the absence of certain things. Um, but the Hebrew word shalom um, very much suggests the presence of something. Not just the absence of negative things, but it's a vibrant, positive word. It's about the presence of life, the presence of blessing. Uh, when you look up a Bible dictionary, it says things like this. It translates shalom as completeness, soundness, well-being, wholeness, health. Right? Those are the kind of ideas that are there in the word shalom. Not just that there isn't war or conflict, but that these things are present. There is well-being, there is wholeness of life. And so the message uh, paraphrase, I think, quite rightly translates Prince of Peace as the Prince of Wholeness. Uh, I think that's a lovely translation. Um, maybe whenever I think about sort of the meaning of the word shalom, it makes me think of a moment in one of my favourite films, uh, which I think is an underrated cinematic masterpiece of recent times, uh, and a, a deeply moving story about the dignity and value of every person. Um, and it's called... 
Horton Hears a Who, right? And if you haven't seen it, you need to go watch it. Um, very brief summary. Uh, Horton Hears a Who is about an elephant who lives in the jungle who finds a flower, and on the flower there's a speck, and on the speck there's a whole civilization of very tiny people living who the elephant must protect against, among others, some evil monkeys, an evil vulture, and a very grumpy kangaroo. Uh, and he's got to protect uh, the little people who live on the flower. Um, and there's a moment that I love in the movie where Horton has lost the flower for a while and it's fallen from a great height and he picks it up and he's worried about these little people who are living on the speck. And this is what he says to them. He says, he says my friends, cried the elephant, tell me, do tell, are you safe? Are you sound? Are you whole? <laughs> are you well? Right? That's shalom. I don't know if Horton understands Hebrew or not, but... That's, that's shalom that he's talking about. That's inquiring about the shalom of the other person. Are you well? Are you safe? Are you sound? Are you whole? Are you well? Right? So if you don't remember the Hebrew, maybe you'll remember your Dr. Zeus. Um, I think it's a question worth pausing to ponder. wonder if I asked you that question this morning, how you would answer. Are you safe? Are you sound? Are you whole? Are you well? I wonder how you would answer. Um, I should have said earlier, of course, I think it's a lovely little detail as well, that in Jewish culture to this day, the word shalom can be used both for hello and for goodbye. So when you greet someone, you wish them shalom. And when you say goodbye to someone, you wish them shalom. It's not a beautiful thing. Um, but I wonder how you would answer this morning. Um, I think you get a poignant sense of the difference between peace and shalom when you think about our situation in Northern Ireland and you think about our history of violence and trouble and we, we've had a peace process and then a peace agreement and a ceasefire and we're so so thankful that the violence has mostly ended and to a significant degree we have peace when you compare life today in Northern Ireland to 30 years ago or whatever um, but I wonder would you say that we have Shalom in Northern Ireland? Or would you say that that's something we're still waiting for and something we still need to pray for and something we still need to work for? For the presence of that well-being and wholeness in every part of society. Um, maybe we could say the Hebrew word is bigger and deeper than our word peace. It contains a lot of what we mean by peace, but it contains a whole lot else um, as well. So, that's our little adventure into the meaning of words. So prince, powerful ruler, commander, peace, shalom, well-being, wholeness. Um, what does it mean then for us to say that Jesus is prince of peace? When we think about those meanings to the words. Um, I want to suggest this morning um, that there are two, maybe two big answers that we can give to that. What does it mean to say that Jesus is prince of peace? Um, I think, first of all, it means this, that he himself is filled with shalom. In other words, in his being, in his character, in his nature, in his personality, he is the man of peace. Shalom characterizes who he is. Um, so one commentator says, the prince of peace is himself the whole man, the perfectly integrated, rounded personality at one with God and humankind. It's not, it's not 
wonderful, the perfectly integrated personality. Um, and one of, one of the many things that Jesus does for us is to show us what healthy humanness looks like. He shows us humanness that is working as it was designed to work. Um, I was thinking about this question during the week, um, and I, I'd be really interested to hear your answers. I wonder if I was to ask you, who is the healthiest personality that you've ever known in your life? Um, so I'm not talking about physical health, who's the most uh, fit and healthy, um, but healthy personality and character. Who is the most integrated, sound, whole person that you've ever known? And I wonder what it is about them that makes you think of them and say they are healthy as a human being in their character. Um, this is where maybe, uh, going back to what we said about the words, if we, if we defined peace only in the negative sense of the absence of conflict and disturbance, then we might say that a, a person filled with peace is just always level and calm. They are, they are unflappable. They keep their head when all those around them are losing theirs, right? That's kinda, that, that would be peace. Um, and I, I want to make a personal confession here and say, I, I am very drawn to that definition of being a person of peace. I like that idea of just being level and calm. Just the graph of your life just going like that, right? I, I like the idea of trying to be that kind of person. But here, here's an uncomfortable challenge, uh, maybe, that might make us think a little bit. That, that view of peace and health is not particularly Christian. If anything, it's actually closer to the ideals of Buddhism, where the goal is to become detached from the cares of the world and achieve a state of nirvana, where you're undisturbed by the ups and downs of life and the passions of life, and you just stay zen, you just stay calm all the time. That's more of a Buddhist ideal than a Christian one. If we want to, look, to, to know what Christian peace and health looks like, where do we look? We need to look at Christ. And what we find when we look at Jesus is the full range of human emotions. You read the Gospels and you find Jesus is deeply moved by things. At the grave of Lazarus, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled and he wept. When he saw the crowds, he was deeply moved with compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. When, when the religious leaders criticized him for healing on the Sabbath, he looked at them with anger, grieved at the hardness of their hearts. When he looked at the city of Jerusalem, he wept because they refused to come to him to receive the comfort and peace that he'd come to bring. In the Garden of Gethsemane, his soul was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, right? And this is the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace doesn't float above the sorrows of the world, detached and calm and smiling like Buddha. He responds with a whole and healthy heart. And that means that he sorrows and he grieves and he is angry and he is glad. He is moved with love and compassion. He's sad about the right things and he's angry about the right things and he's glad about the right things and that's what it means to be healthy that's what it means to be whole that's what it means to be fully human that's what it means to be a man or a woman of peace 
Um, Jesus shows us what it is to be a person filled with the shalom of God. Right? So that's the first thing. When we say Jesus is Prince of Peace, we're saying something about who he is. We look to him for our definition of what it means to be healthy and whole as a human being. Here's the second thing. Jesus as Prince of Peace is able to give peace to his people. He's able to give this shalom. It's his gift that he can give to his people. He can give it because he has it in abundance, because it's his nature and his character, and also because he came and made peace by the blood of his cross. Um, In his death, Jesus took on himself, uh, you could say, everything that is anti-shalom, everything that damages shalom, everything that is unhealthy and diseased in our human lives and hearts and world, he took on himself. So he is the peacemaker who makes peace in a really costly way. And he is the peace giver who gives to us the peace uh, that is his. Um, The peace of Jesus begins in the heart. Um, There's no peace in the rest of our life unless at the center of everything there's peace with God. In the Bible, that's always the center and the heart of shalom. It begins in the heart with finding peace with God. That's the wellspring of peace in the rest of life. Um, we We can't fix or find shalom in all the other parts of life unless first there is shalom with God in the heart. But it doesn't stay in the heart. It, it then flows from the heart out into all, all the other parts of life. It gets worked into relationships with family and friends and neighbours and even enemies and strangers. Um, it can impact families. A family can be filled with shalom. A community, a neighbourhood, maybe even a nation. Um, the promise of scripture um, goes very big that, it, that this shalom will fill the whole earth. So do you remember what it said in Isaiah 9, just after our key verse that we read this morning? Of the increase of his government and shalom, there will be no end. So this is something that begins in the human heart, but then flows out and increases, and there's no end to its increase. That's kind of a big and powerful promise. Jesus is able to give shalom to his people and even to fill the earth with shalom. Um, And I wonder even as we say that, um, I wonder where you are aware that you need that in your life right now. Um, I wonder where the areas where you're aware that if you're being honest, things are not well in your life or maybe in in our wider world as well. Where are you aware that there is a lack of shalom, where we really need Jesus to come and bring his shalom Uh, to our lives and our world. Um, I wonder how you would answer that. Um, It kind of seems like right now, our world seems to have very little peace in either the English sense or the Hebrew sense. There's an awful lot of tension and conflict and turmoil and disturbance and even violence. There's not much sign of health and wholeness and well-being. Um, either in individuals or in families or in communities or in nations. And so maybe you look around your your world at the minute in the newspaper headlines and what's going on, and there doesn't seem to be a lot of peace. I wonder for you personally, closer to home, where you're aware of a lack of shalom. Um, 
I sat uh, the week before last with a friend whose family life right now is just awful, whose daily life is just really painful and really difficult. Um, and he told me very honestly as we were talking that as he, as he passed by the Sandal Centre and he saw the banner on the side saying joy to the world, he, he felt like it was mocking him. Right? These big claims that we make at Christmas of peace on earth, of joy to the world, sometimes that can be difficult to hear if where you are right now is not joyful or full of shalom. Um, you too have a song where they sing really honestly. They, they say, we sing it every Christmas time, but hope and history don't rhyme. So what's it worth, this peace on earth? Um, I wonder, do you ever wonder that? What do we do with these big promises whenever sometimes it doesn't rhyme with the experience that we're walking through as an individual, as a family, um, or in our world? Um, I think those are honest questions and healthy questions. Um, And I think they remind us that we live in a time in between, between the first coming of Jesus and his second coming, which is really what Advent is all about. Um, The Prince of Peace has come and he lived this life that embodied the shalom of God and he died this death that dealt with sin and made peace and his kingdom of peace is now available. It's at hand. And yet, we are really aware, sometimes painfully aware, that this kingdom has not yet come in all its fullness. And there's so much in our world that is not well. What do we do when we see those things? Um, I think we acknowledge them and we wait and we groan. Um, Groaning is a very biblical thing. It says in the Bible that creation groans, waiting for its healing and its freedom to come. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit groans as he intercedes for us. And I think that's the appropriate response. When we see things in our world and in our lives and in the lives of people we care about where there is no shalom, we groan and we wait and we pray, come Lord Jesus. We long for his appearing. We long for his advent when he will come and wipe away every tear and make all things new and make all things well. And then shalom will reign, right? We long for that day and we wait. And where, where, that, where those things are not present, we groan. Here in the meantime, in the middle where we live, we wait and we groan. I think that's really important to say. Some of you are in that place right now. People you care about are in that place. Um, but I also want to say this before we finish, um, that even while we wait, Even while things in our lives and our world are out of kilter and out of shalom, I want to say this, that we can know the peace of Christ in our lives as a tangible, powerful presence. Even while we're waiting for him to come and make all things well, we can experience his peace in profound ways. I felt like I wanted to say this really um, strongly to us this morning. Um, I think this was the witness of the early church. Um, You think about the church in the book of Acts, their their external circumstances were often very non-shalomi. That's not really a word, is it? Um, They were often not very peaceful. They were chased out of town with rocks. 
They had to flee from Jerusalem and be scattered all all over the place. They were thrown in prison. They were thrown to the lions later. Um, They were persecuted first by the Jewish leaders and later by the Romans. Um, There wasn't a lot of obvious peace externally in their lives. And yet, what did they claim again and again and again? They claimed that they possessed a deep and powerful peace which the world couldn't give and the world couldn't steal. That's what they claimed again and again, a peace that passes all understanding. They claimed that that was theirs and it drove their persecutors mad that even in the face of death, that was their witness. Um, And I want to say to me and I want to say to us that that can be our experience today. That wasn't just for the first generation. Um, Ricky and I were speaking uh, recently to to Gordon Knox. Uh, Most of you know Gordon's had a diagnosis in recent weeks uh, that from a human point of view um, is really awful, really awful and really bleak. Um, We were talking to Gordon and uh, Gordon was saying that people have been asking him if he was worried as he was waiting for results and waiting for tests and waiting for things to happen. And this is what Gordon said to Ricky and I. He said, I've given that to the Lord. (laughs) And if I was to start worrying about that, I would be taking it back into my own hands. And I would lose my peace. And I'm not prepared to do that. (laughs) And I've kind of remembered it nearly word for word, what he said. And I I was struck by the fact that Gordon had made a choice, um, kind kind of a fierce, deliberate choice to live in the peace of God, to, to let it inhabit him and to dwell in it uh, and to live inside it. Um, and when Ricky and I went upstairs later, we were, we were talking about, it, about how amazing that is to see um, when someone's external circumstances are so difficult and yet they're living in the peace of God. But, but then as Ricky and I talked about it, we were struck by another thought, which was... Um, This should be the normal experience of God's people. And I know from talking to them, Gordon and Aaron don't want us to think and talk about how amazing they are. They want us to know that this peace is available to all of God's children. That's what they want us to know. And we've got to choose it every day. We've got to live in it. We've got to rest in it. We've got to receive it. We sometimes even need to make a fierce choice that I'm, I'm not giving it up. Because this is what uh, Jesus has given to me. To let the Prince of Peace come and take up residence uh, and dwell in us. I'm going to finish with this. We, we're going to sing in a minute um, an old hymn, um, a, a little confession. Whenever I was younger, we sang this hymn a lot. Uh, and I really didn't like it. Um, and I, I, think, I think I thought it was trite. I think I thought the, the hymn was kind of saying, doesn't matter what's going on. In life, it's kind of making light of the troubles that people go through and saying, as long as your soul's okay, it doesn't matter whatever is going on in your life. Um, and I, I think I thought it was a bit light or trite. And I don't think that anymore. And I think partly I paid more attention to the words of the song, which are very deep and very profound. Um, but I think the other thing was uh, that I heard the story of how the song had been written. And the short version is this. Um, Horatio Spafford, as well as having a spectacular name, um, was a man who suffered unimaginable pain. First of all, the death of his four-year-old son, 
Then the Great Fire of Chicago in 1871 ruined them financially. Then an economic downturn in 1873 um, decimated his, his finances further. Then he planned to travel to England to help, to help with a gospel mission being led by the evangelist D.L. Moody. And he sent his family ahead of him and was planning to follow later. But the ship carrying his family collided with another ship and sank. And all four of his daughters were killed. Only his wife survived. She sent a two-word telegram from England with saying simply this, saved alone. And as, as Horatio Spafford travelled to join his grieving wife in England, and as his ship passed the place where his daughters had been lost, right? so this is a man, there is not a lot of shalom in his external circumstances. There has been sickness and death and financial disaster and fire and tragedy on, a, on an unbelievable scale. But as he passed that place, he wrote these words, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, you've taught me to say. I hear that fierceness there as well. It is well, it is well with my soul. You hear what he's saying? At the center of my being, there is a wellness, there is a shalom that nobody can take from me and nothing can take from me. Um, let me pray for us that that would be our experience too. And then we're going to sing uh, that old hymn together. Let's pray. Father, we know, even as we talk about these things, that this peace, this shalom that we've been thinking about is not something that we can manufacture for ourselves. It's not something we can muster up or think ourselves into. And so we look to you as our Prince of Peace. Would you come and make peace in our lives where there is no peace? Would you come and give us the gift of your shalom? So whatever we go through in our daily lives, whatever ups and downs we face, whatever small challenges face us every day and whatever deep griefs and sorrows roll over us sometimes like billows. Father, I want to pray that more and more day by day we would be able to bear witness and say it is well with my soul. At the centre of my being there is a peace that cannot be shaken because the Prince of Peace has taken up residence there. Father, would you come Give us your peace, and especially this morning, those who most need it right now, whose hearts are heavy, whose hearts are sore, whose hearts are troubled. Would you come, Prince of Peace, and bring your shalom? We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.